0: Part two, chapter eight of The Patrician by John Galsworthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Part two, chapter eight. To a woman like Audrey Knoll, born to be the counterpart and complement of another, whose occupations and effort were inherently divorced from the continuity of any stiff and strenuous purpose of her own, the uprooting she had voluntarily undergone was a serious matter. Bereaved of the faces of her flowers, the friendly sighing of her lime-tree, the wants of her cottages, bereaved of that busy monotony of little home-things which is the stay and solace of lonely women, she was extraordinarily lost. Even music for review seemed to have failed her. She had never lived in London, so that she had not the refuge of old haunts and habits, but had to make her own. And to make habits and haunts required a heart that could at least stretch out feelers and lay hold of things, and her heart was not now able. When she had struggled with her Wardian flats and laid down her simple routine of meals, she was as stranded as ever was convict let out of prison. She had not even that great support in the necessity of hiding her feelings for fear of disturbing others. She was planted there with her longing and grief under nothing nobody, to take her out of herself. Having wilfully embraced this, this position, she tried to make the best of it, feeling it less intolerable at all events than staying on at Monkland, where she made that grievous and unpardonable error, falling in love. This offence, on the part of one who felt within herself a great capacity to enjoy and to confer happiness, had arisen, like the other grievous and unpardonable offence, her marriage from too much disposition to yield herself to the personality of another. But it was cold comfort to know that the desire to give and to receive love had twice over left her a dead woman. Whatever the nature of those immature sensations with which, as a girl of twenty, she had accepted her husband, in her feeling towards Milton there was not only abandonment, but the higher flame of self-renunciation. She wanted to do the best for him, and had not even the consolation of the knowledge that she had sacrificed herself for his advantage. All had been taken out of her hands. Yet, with characteristic fatalism, she did not feel rebellious. If it were ordained that she should, for fifty, perhaps sixty, years, repent in sterility and ashes that first error of her girlhood, rebellion was none the less too far fetched. If she rebelled, it would not be in spirit, but in action. General principles were nothing to her. She lost no force brooding over the justice or injustice of her situation, but merely tried to digest its facts. The whole day, succeeding Courtier's visit, was spent by her in the National Gallery, whose roof, alone of all in London, seemed to offer her protection. She had found one painting by an Italian master, the subject of which reminded her of milton and before this she sat for a very long time attracting at last the gouty stare of an official the still figure of this lady with the oval face and grave beauty both piqued his curiosity and stimulated certain moral qualms she was undoubtedly waiting for her lover no woman in his experience had ever sat so long before a picture without ulterior motive and he kept his eyes well opened to see what this motive would be like. It gave him, therefore, a sensation almost amounting to chagrin, when coming round once more he found they had eluded him, and gone off together without coming under his inspection. Feeling his feet a good deal, for he had been on them all day, he sat down in the hollow which she had left behind her, and against his will found himself also looking at the picture. He was painted in a style he did not care for. The face of the subject, too, gave him the queer feeling that the gentleman was being roasted inside. He had not been sitting there long, however, before he perceived the ladies standing by the picture, and the lips of the gentleman in the picture moving. It seemed to him against the rules, and he got up at once and went towards it. But as he did so, he found that his eyes were shut and opened them hastily. There was no one there. From the National Gallery, Audrey had gone into an ABC for tea, and then home. Before the mansions was a taxicab, and the maid met her with the news that Lady Caradoc was in the sitting room. Barbara was indeed standing in the middle of the room, with a look on her face such as her father wore sometimes on the racecourse, in the hunting field, or at stormy cabinet meetings, a look both resolute and sharp. She spoke at once I got your address from Mr. Courtier. My brother is ill. I'm afraid it'll be brain fever. I think you had better go and see him at his rooms in the temple. There's no time to be lost. To Audrey, everything in the room seemed to go round. Yet all her senses were preternaturally acute, so that she could distinctly smell the mud of the river at low tide. She said with a shudder, Oh, I will go. Yes, I will go at once. He's quite alone. He hasn't asked for you. But I think your going is the only chance. He took me for you. You told me once you were a good nurse? Yes. The room was steady enough now, but she had lost the preternatural acuteness of her senses and felt confused. She heard Barbara say, I can take you to the door in my cab. And murmuring, I will get ready, went into her bedroom. For a moment she was so utterly bewildered that she did nothing then every other thought was lost in a strange soft almost painful delight as if some new instinct were being born in her and quickly but without confusion or hurry she began packing she put into her valise her own toilet things then flannel cotton wool eau de cologne hot water bottle etna shawls thermometer everything she had which could serve in illness changing to a plain dress she took up the valise and returned to barbara they went out together to the cab the moment it began to bear her to this ordeal, at once so longed for and so terrible, fear came over her again, so that she screwed herself to the corner, very white and still. She was aware of Barbara calling to the driver, Go by the strand and stop at the poultry's for ice. When the bag of ice had been handed in, heard her saying, I'll bring you all you want, if he's really going to be ill. Then as the cab stopped and the open doorway of the staircase was before her, all her courage came back. She felt the girl's warm hand against her own, and, grasping her valise and the bag of ice, got out and hurried up the steps. End of Part 2 Chapter 8